Yeshua's name. Amen. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had that big snow. And I cannot remember in my lifetime seeing snow so deep. And for the length of the time that it snowed was remarkable to me. I was like, I cannot remember a time in Virginia's history that it snowed so long. I was like, oh my goodness, we're never going to get out of here. I said, it's going to take a month for this snow to melt away. But that was my assumption. But God had other plans. You know, it's almost like God was saying, I can make it snow six foot deep, and you would think it would be impossible for this snow to go away in months. And the next day, it's gone. You know, God is in control. And I praise God for that. He is in control. And his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. So praise the Lord. Well, today I have a message for you. And I have to tell you, I have really been meditating on this message for months. And it seems like every time I look at this particular message, God just opens up another chapter, opens up and says, Hey, you forgot to look at this. You forgot to look at that. And the story has just grown and grown, and it's become amazing. Now, the theme of this story is that Hashem is God, and there is no other. Let's say that together. Hashem is God, and there is no other. Okay? So now we get this message, and we go with our pick number one from the story of Naaman. Now... I know we probably all have read the story of Naaman. It's a very short story. It's only less than 20 verses or so long. But Naaman is one of those stories that tells you more about what it doesn't say as what it says. The key points of the story are told. That's no doubt. But there's so much mystery in the story of Naaman. It's amazing. I'm the person that always asks the question, why? Why? You know, I either say, oh, good, or oh, me, or something, when I look at scriptures. Scriptures are amazing. So today I want to look at the story of Naaman. It's out of 2 Kings chapter 5. And we start looking at verse 1. It says, now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. That is to say, Syria. He was the commander of the army of Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master, which would be the king, and he's highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a valiant soldier, but he had, and pick number two, leprosy, or commonly known as wrapping disease. Whatever that is. So Naaman has leprosy. Now, it's important here. Let's go to the next verse, verse 2. Now, bands of raiders from Syria had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. Now, it's time for a brief moment of explanation here. 
we must note that Israel had concluded a peace treaty with the Armenians during the reign of King Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 20. Minor border skirmishes continued with the two states at the aftermath of this for the battle and control over Ramoth Gilead, the battle in which Ahab was killed, 1 Kings chapter 22. So now, let's just kind of put a couple of things together. Naaman was the commanding officer of the armies of Syria. But it was Hashem, the Lord, the God of Israel, that gave the commander favor over Israel in the battle by which Ahab was killed. Second part, it's very obvious in the scriptures that we read so far that Naaman was highly liked. He was loved. He was thought about highly. He was reverent, respectful, whatever words you want to use. He was seen in this light. He was loved dearly by his king, which is good. So now, in one of these raids, this Israeli girl, we don't know how old she is. This is one of those does it really matter? To some degree it could, I guess, but I thought it interesting. It's also interesting in this story, the Israeli girl name is not mentioned. You notice also that the king of Syria, his name is not mentioned. The only name that's really mentioned so far are two. Naaman and Hashem are the only two names. Now, in verse 3, we read the following. She, which is the uh, servant Israeli girl, said to her mistress, If only my master would go see the prophet who is in Samaria, Israel, he would be cured of his leprosy. Now, this is very interesting. I want you to think about this for just a minute. This is when I really had to stop, put down everything, and I really had to just think about this and pray about this for a while. So why would a servant girl, someone who's been taken captive in a, she's Israeli, she's in a Syrian household, why would she care? That's question number one. Why would she care about Naaman and his healing at all? But apparently... She did. Second question would be, why would Naaman's wife even listen to this Israeli girl? Why would she? She is a servant girl in the house of Naaman. Why would she listen to her? Question number three would be, why would Naaman's wife ever think about telling her husband. He's the commander of the army. Though he needs healing, why would you go to Israel for healing? Why even pay attention? I'd like to offer up one little scenario that I have here. You know, there's a big difference between having a conversation 
and a conversation. By that I mean this, we can talk generally all day long about things. But there are times when we talk, and you know what I'm talking about. There are times when we have a conversation with somebody, something connects. It's no more just a general conversation, it's spirit to spirit. You're speaking directly at me. The words that you're speaking to me affect me. They touch my heart. They touch my spirit. I hear them with my ears, and I sense them with my spirit. And I believe this is the conversation this Israeli girl had with Naaman's wife. She wasn't speaking just general conversation. This was a heartfelt conversation, a spirit-sensed conversation, because it had impact. This had impact. This was like I can almost see Naaman's wife is getting excited and wanting to, I've got to go tell everybody about this. I believe it was this. She was speaking to the heart and to the spirit. Now let's go to the next verse. Now Naaman went to his master, the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. The next verse. The king says immediately, by all means go, the king of Syria replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. Now I have a lot of problems with this verse. A lot of problems. The king of Syria immediately says, Naaman, go! Go, man, go! And I said, why? Why would the king of Syria, now think about this, and let me ask an obvious question. Are there gods in Syria? Are there temples in Syria? I'm sure they had many gods and many temples and probably hundreds if not thousands of prophets all over Syria, right? I'm sure of it. Why would the king said, go to Israel and get your healing? Why would you send him outside the kingdom for your healing? When the healing's supposed to be here in my land. It's our gods that saved Syria. But he said, no, go. Now this calls for a little bit of speculation. But I think it fits the story nicely. I think Naaman had leprosy for a long time. And I think it bothered him for a long time. And you know what? I think Naaman had already gone to all the temples of all these false gods to seek healing. I think he had paid the, paid the price, probably in money, probably in other stuff, to seek healings from all the gods of Syria. But this is never mentioned in, in Scripture. It's, it's, it's almost obviously vacant in Scripture. So then, so, so then this causes me to think, he says, well, now I begin to understand why the king of Israel said, now go. He didn't pause and say, well, wait a minute, have you tried this remedy? Have you tried that remedy? Have you seen this God or that God? He didn't say any of that. He just immediately said, go. Which tells me he had intimate inside knowledge that Naaman has been seeking healing for a very long time. He hadn't found it. And now today was the day he says, there's another hope. It's time to go. Go. And I'll write the letter. But if you notice, 
the king got it wrong. The king wrote the letter to the king of Israel. The servant girl didn't say write a letter to the king of Israel. She said, seek out the prophets in Samaria. That's number one. Number two, what's all this silver and gold and fine clothing about? What's this about? Do you realize that the material that Naaman took with him, 10 talents of silver was 12,000 ounces of silver. 12,000 ounces. 6,000 shekels of gold. That's 2,400 ounces of gold. 10 sets of, I'm sure, the finest clothing that money could buy. And, of course, the king's letter. What was all this silver and gold and clothing about? Is this a learned practice that Naaman picked up in Syria as he was going from temple to temple? Did it cost him something with every prophet of, a, of the little gods that he saw? What did it cost him? It probably cost him a fortune. So now he's going to take, his, take more of his fortune with him to go seek healing with a prophet in Samaria. So let's read on. Verse, the next verses. Now, he took the letter and gave it to the king of Israel, which read, With this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? Why is he trying to pick a fight with me? Hmm. Did you notice there's a lot missing there? There's so much missing there. And something changed. First of all, let me point out that the king of Israel did not take that letter, and as he read it, he didn't say, Oh, Naaman, I am not a healer. I'm not a healer. I never could heal. I can't even heal my headache. But there is a healer in Israel. There is a prophet of the Most High God in Israel. He lives in Samaria. Should I send for him? Nor did the king, as he rent his clothes, nor did the king fall down on his knees and say, Hashem, help me. What's the solution here? The king never looked toward Hachem whatsoever. Never crossed his lips. Never crossed his mind. He was fearful. He was truly fearful that the Syrians were trying to call a battle. His mind was somewhere else. He was on another planet. He truly thought that the Syrians had come to, to start a fight with him. So he was upset. He was in anguish. He throws himself down. Why me? Hmm. 
But also there's a tone difference here. There's a tone difference. Order of structure. Let me put it to you this way. When this story starts off, we start off with a servant girl. Servant girl to her master, who is what? The uh, wife of Naaman. Okay, so we got sermon, uh, servant to master. Who is Naaman's wife to Naaman? Servant to master. Who is Naaman to his king? Servant to master. We got servant, master, servant, master, servant, master, going up the ladder as we're in Syria. But now Naaman has left Syria and he's coming to Israel. The order changes. Now it's master to servant. It's master to servant. Naaman now is the master and the king of Israel is the servant. The king of Israel is in fear. That's important to remember. Let's take a look at the next verse. When when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent him this message. King, why have you torn your robe? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, what's not being said here? We don't know how Elijah, how Elijah got the message. Was it by divine intervention? Was there a messenger that was sent out to Elijah? We don't know. Scriptures don't say. It's almost as like Elisha had an inside um, picture of what was going on. It's almost like he knew what was happening before it happened. Interesting. So let's go on to the next verse. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. This verse right here is the pivotal point of his whole story. This verse right here. Remember what Elijah said earlier. That Naaman may know that there is a prophet in Israel. That Naaman may know that there is a prophet in Israel. What does that mean? I want you to think about this very carefully because this is extremely important in this story. When Naaman was in Syria and he went to any temple, who came out of the temple to meet him? Their prophets. Their prophets came out. They said, sure, we'll pray for you. Give us some money. Elijah, by the Spirit of God, knew he should not meet Naaman. Just give him the instructions. This was not by happenstance that a messenger went out to meet Naaman. 
This was by the Spirit of God. The messenger went out. He says, okay, Naaman, we know why you're here. We know what you need. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and you will be healed. That's it. He didn't ask for no money. He didn't ask for anything in return. He just gave him the message from God, from the prophet. That's it. This is very important because then next verse. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me, stand, call on the name of Hashem his God, wave his hands over a spot, cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abna and uh, Far, far apart, the rivers of Damascus, better than any or all the waters of Israel, could not wash in them and be cleansed. So he turned off out of there in a rage. Did you catch the tone? Preconceptions. Naaman came with preconceptions of how he was to be healed. This is how I'm going to be healed. The prophet's going to come out. He's going to look at me. He says, Hashem, heal him, and it's all done. But now look, look what Naaman says. He says, all the waters of Syria are just clean and pure and sparkling. That's where we get our bottled water from today. And, and he's like, why not go there? Of all the places to, go told, to be told to go wash myself, you're telling me to go wash myself in the Jordan. It's a dirty mud hole. Of all places to go, you're telling me to go to a mud hole. Do you know how embarrassing this is? I am the commander-in-chief of all the armies of Syria. I am a valiant soldier. And if I were to go dunk myself in a mud hole, and if I come up not healed, I will be a laughingstock of all the generals. Hmm. Not my will, but thy will be done. So angry. From anger to rage. He went. Let's look at the next verse. Now Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to go do something great, some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Wouldn't you have done it? How much more then when he tells you, go wash and be cleansed? Let's put it another way. Next picture. If God had told you to go bungee jump off of Mount Everest, would you have done it? 
Of course he would. It was a great thing. Next pick. Or if he had told you to go slay some mystical dragon somewhere, you would have had no problems with that. And it was with this, Naaman paused. That must have really hit home with him. He finally realized he had a problem. See, the leprosy was a display of the outward disease. But he had an inward disease as well. It was called pride. Naaman caught himself when his servant said, but if he had told you to do some great thing, it hit him right in between the eyes. Scripture doesn't say what Naaman did right at that moment. But I would be willing to say that Naaman probably stopped his chariot. He probably got off of it. He may have even strayed off a little ways from the men that were with him. And he probably got down on his knees and said, Lord, I'm such a fool. Forgive me. Forgive me of my prideful ways. And he says, Lord, you are God. You know what I need more than anybody else. You instructed me to go wash myself seven times in the Jordan. Then to the Jordan I will go and wash myself. Next verse. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and as the, man, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh became clean. Next picture. Like a baby. <laughs> his flesh was as clean as a young boy. A young man. I don't, it didn't say how young, so I took this picture. Next verse. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, and he stood before him and said, Now, now for a certainty, I know that there is no other God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept my gifts from your Servant. Oh, wait a minute. When that prideful nature got pushed aside, now he became servant. Please accept this gift from your servant. And the prophet answered, As surely as Hashem lives and whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. Even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Naaman got it right. He not only had a physical um, change, there was a spiritual change as well. He got it right. Next verse. But may the Lord, yes, but may the uh, Hashem forgive your servant for this one thing. 
when my master enters into the temple of Ramon and bow down to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I have to bow there too. When I bow down in that temple of Ramon, may Hashem forgive your servant for this. And Elisha says, go in peace. Now, we missed the verse before that, but that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll read that. Naaman also requested, he says, may your servant be given as much earth as two donkeys can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offering and sacrifice to any other God but Hashem. Yes, that one. I think Naaman really got it. I think he really learned spiritually, physically, in every sense. But the story leaves many questions unanswered. Like, for instance, when Naaman returns home, I'm sure the first stop is going to be the king's palace. I wonder what he's going to tell the king. I wonder how the king's going to react. When, Na when Naaman says, Hashem healed me. He is the one true God. There is none other. I wonder how the king reacted. I wonder when Naaman went home. I wonder how his wife reacted. I wonder how the servant girl reacted. When Naaman comes home, he's clean as a baby. We don't know. And I wonder what Naaman is going to do with that dirt. Two donkeys full of dirt. Two donkeys packed with as much dirt as they can carry. It doesn't say what Naaman did with that dirt. If you look in scriptures, all of scriptures, and you look up the name Naaman, the very last reference of Naaman is made by Yeshua. From the book of Luke, verse 27, it reads this. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God, Hashem, had a plan for Naaman from the get-go. We saw just one side of the salvation story, if you will. 
But we never saw what happens on the backside, what Naaman did in Syria. We don't know. One thing's for certain, and we can all testify to this. When Hashem grabs a hold of you and changes your life, you got to talk about him. you got to talk about him. You can't help but talk about him. And Naaman had an excuse to talk about him because he says, look, I'm clean. Look at that. I'm clean. No more leprosy. You know who did this? Hashem. There is a God. And he is one. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.